Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. My guest today is Jennifer Estabrook, President Fila North America. A leading business executive, she's had an unusual path to this position. Here's one good reason you should listen to her story. My childhood is so unusual that uh, it was the subject of a book written by my brother and then a movie. When Jennifer was a little girl, her mother left home to pursue a new life with a guru. Jennifer was raised by a Jamaican housekeeper and later her bachelor father, who became an anchor in her life. Her childhood had a profound impact on her. It made her resilient, self-sufficient, and has given her a strong sense of commitment, all essential qualities for a business leader. Because my mother um, didn't fulfill her parental commitment, that makes me want to, whenever, if I commit to something, I'm, I'm going to commit to it and you're going to get 2,000% out of me. Jennifer took over as president of Fila North America when her predecessor died suddenly. The transition was not easy. She talks about the challenges of taking on the new role. I had to just pick up the pieces and keep going. There was no, uh, no opportunity really to fall apart about coping with COVID. It's been a complete unknown and there's very little to draw on to even extrapolate what might happen. You are in a situation of total ambiguity and you don't know whether you should fire everybody, keep it going, how long is it gonna be? And explains why she's happy being the president and mom of the company. Here's my conversation with Jennifer Estabrook. Jennifer, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you so much. It's I have such an honor to be here. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, our pleasure. I was looking forward to this conversation. Now, 2020 has been a hard year for most people around the world, and I can't believe we are almost at the end of it now. What's this year been like for you? Well, unfortunately, it's it's a little bit been a continuation of uh, a very tough year in 2019. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but our uh, former president, John Epstein, passed away suddenly in February of 2019. And so uh, I became the president. Uh, I was his C- COO. I think that people in the company looked at us like mom and dad. Uh, in fact, some employees would call us mom and dad. So, uh, you know, dad passed away and Fila is very much like a family. And so mom had to pick up the pieces and carry on. And so it's very tough. Um, as it turns out, 2019, from a sales perspective, was our biggest year and most profitable year ever, which is pretty amazing considering that we were all deeply in mourning and so I had to step in and lead an organization that was grieving and mourning. And, and John Epstein 
was um, an unbelievably huge and well-loved figure in the company. So, you know, it was definitely a situation where dad was definitely the favored parent and he was fun. Uh, he was the biggest cheerleader. He walked around the office. He, he was the kind of person that when you came into contact with him, it's like he was shining the sun on you. Mm. And he had this way of making everybody feel so good and so positive. And from a business and a commercial perspective, he was a commercial genius. And so, as you can imagine, those were pretty huge shoes to fill. I'm leading an organization that is as deeply mourning his passing. And plus the fact that I lost somebody who was very important to me and didn't have one second to, I had to just pick up the pieces and keep going. There was no, uh, no opportunity really to fall apart because first I have to see if I was going to be given the chance to become president. And then when I was given the chance be to become president, uh, I had to perform and I had to keep going. And then at the same time in April of that year, my, my father, who was a huge influence in my life, started to take a downward turn. As it turned out, as the year went on, his health declined and then he passed away in October. So I started 2020 thinking, the page has turned, it's been a really tough year, and now things are going to get better. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. So it's been different, the challenges of covid because you, as with everybody, it's been a complete unknown and there's very little to draw on to even extrapolate what might happen. You are in a situation of total ambiguity and you don't know whether you should fire everybody, keep it going, how long is it going to be? It's interesting because I think we live our lives very much projecting out and thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think that the way that I have been able to survive and keep going is to stay in the moment and keep telling myself that whatever it is, I'll be able to, I will deal with it and I will know what to do based on what presents itself to me. So I'm so sorry for the two very significant losses you endured in 2019. I can't imagine what a year that was for you. When John Epstein passed away, you probably didn't have much time to even think about the new role, to think about being offered the role of being president of North America of FILA. So when you were offered that role, did you say yes right away? What went through your mind? I guess you didn't have much time to think about it. What was interesting was that there wasn't a succession plan at all. And so, uh, and, and I think part of that was John's condition was very serious and we weren't aware until after the fact about how serious it was. And he told me, I'm having this surgery. I'm going to call Gene Yoon, who is our chairman tonight. And I'm going to tell him that this is how I want to have the, the leadership go. And the thing was, is that Gene and I had a, it was an up and down relationship. John's idea actually was to have co-presidents. He was going to bring somebody in who he and Gene had been speaking with. And I think part of that was, I think John wanted me to be the president, but I don't think that he thought he could get Gene there. And I think he was caught between disappointing me and wanting to do I think so is a very strange and difficult situation. The person who was supposed to be the co-president had no idea that these discussions had taken place. And so 
Uh, and Jean, of course, wanted to get this succession planned right away. And so when I reached out to this person, I was going to see him at the funeral. Uh, and I asked, you know, could we get together and discuss this? And he was so devastated by John's loss that he didn't even want to have the conversation, understandably. So it took about a month for him to do his diligence. And it was clear to me, to be honest with you in my heart of hearts, that despite the fact that we said co-presidents, that Gene, what he had in his mind, frankly, was to have the other person as, I don't think he understood the concept, uh, and he wanted the other person to be president. And in the end, he turned the job down. And so then Gene was left with a choice of, did he go outside and do a search, or did he give me the opportunity. He said to me at one point, well, why don't we do a search and then you, we can try you out? And I said, no, you need to make a decision. And I'm fine with whatever your decision is, but I'm not going to do all of the work. Uh, you know, find somebody to replace myself, train that person, and then, you know, to end up in the same point in time, because I just decided that that was not something I was willing to do. I wasn't going to leave in the lurch. Unbeknownst to me, there were people inside of uh, Fila North America that were calling him saying, you need to give her the opportunity. She can do this. And he did. What's your relationship with Gene like now, knowing that he didn't entirely back your appointment as president? Once he made the decision, then uh, he's been 100% supportive of me in the beginning months. I think he was honestly nervous. His nervousness was not unfounded because John was such a, he was a genius and he was, John was involved in the sales and he was involved in the product and I, he had me do everything else. So, and I knew under, you know, I was very aware of what I could do and what I couldn't do and what my gaps were. So Gene really stepped in uh, and has been here throughout to, just to make sure that I have the support that I need from him, the guidance that I need from him. And he's been tremendously supportive uh, ever since. And I think that with the performance of the company and as, you know, as time went on and we were able to talk about things, every time he asked me something, I was able to come back and say, here's what's going on. Here's the numbers. I knew all the answers to his questions because I was very involved in the business. And, uh, and he, you know, from time to time, will call other people in the company just to check in. So I think with time, he's comfortable, I'm comfortable. And I think right now we have a very good relationship. So frankly, I think if John were here, he would say, wow. <laughs> I, think he, I think he would be surprised. You are an incredibly strong woman and very resilient. Where does this come from, this inner strength that you have? Where does this come from? I know you had an unusual childhood, and I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, so my childhood is so unusual that uh, it was the subject of a book written by my brother and then a movie. It's called Clara's Heart. It was actually, it starred Whoopi Goldberg, the movie, and then Neil Patrick Harris, I think it was his, uh, he played the role of my brother. And it was, I believe he had been doing amateur uh, work in Arizona. I think it was his first professional role and really launched his career. When I was 10, my parents got a divorce and I was the only, I think I might have been the only person in my school with divorced parents. So it was a very novel uh, situation 
I was living in Westchester County. My father moved to New York City. He promptly became a bachelor with a, a little black book of names and phone numbers that I am told was the envy of, of everybody. And I lived with my mother who really went through a transformation. She went to a spiritual center uh, called the Wainwright House in Rye, New York. And she met uh, somebody who, the only way to describe him, he's a guru. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she promptly fell in love and, uh, and set off on this spiritual journey. My father felt very strongly that he didn't want this gentleman ever staying in the house. So during the week, she would stay with him. She would pick me up after school for activities and our Jamaican housekeeper would take care of us. Um, and my brother and, and, our, and that our housekeeper were very close and that's the seed of the book. But ultimately two years later, my mother, uh, the, the guru was from California and he was, was done with the East Coast in the winters and he wanted to move back to California and he asked her to go with him. And so I was 12 and I remember distinctly, uh, we were driving and she pulled over. I still remember the, uh, every time I drive by, it was an overpass on Route 287 uh, in Harrison, New York. And she pulled over and she told me that she was gonna move to California. And she thought it would be better if I stayed in New York and lived with my father. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. How did you react? How did you feel hearing that from your mom? It didn't, to be honest with you, at 12, I really wasn't, I was more focused on, and maybe it was my survival instinct, I was just focused on the tactical. I, I, at that point in time, I was riding horses, and I had just started riding with a trainer, and I was starting to show and, and become a better rider, and it was very much devoted to it, and I, didn't, I frankly didn't want to leave my riding, and I didn't really like the guru. He came into our house. All of a sudden, there was, all the, there was no breakfast cereal with, uh, you know, that had chemicals in it. We started to eat all of these weird foods, mm-hmm. um, and so I, the one thing I knew is that I did not want to move to California and live with him full time. So I just, you know, I didn't, and I didn't see it as a as my mother. It, you know, the the gravity of the situation did not dawn on me, and I don't think until I had a child. Uh, you know, there were various points, and particularly my senior year of college, parents' weekend. Yes. When I was the only one whose parents were nowhere to be found on parents' weekend, it, that started the cycle of it really sinking in what had happened. Uh, and I confronted her, and she said to me at that point in time, so now I'm 21 years old, she said to me, I had to make the decision to save myself, and someday when you have children, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. So 
I gave her the benefit of the doubt. And then when my uh, oldest daughter was born, after about five minutes, <laughs> then I really didn't understand. And because, you know, the way that you feel when you hold your child and the sense of responsibility, overwhelming responsibility, I just thought, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how anyone could walk away from that the way that she did. It wasn't like she, you know, if she wasn't sick, she wasn't addicted to drugs. She yeah. didn't have some big psychological issues. She just decided, she just checked out. And then there were various points in my life where she and I, where it would bubble up to the surface. And I remember uh, when I was in my early 40s, she said to me, you know, you're 42. When are you going to get over it? And I thought to myself, I, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. I don't think I'm ever going to understand. And my father also didn't understand. And he was very angry with her. My father was a hard driving person and he never wanted to say to, to me, feel sorry for yourself. He just, he just kept pushing me. Uh, and he was there and, you know, he was bachelor father. Can you imagine now I had, he had to have dinner. He would have dinner with me every night after school and then he would go out, but he made a commitment to me that he was home for dinner, you know, Monday through Thursday on the weekends I was riding. So I would go up uh, and spend the weekends uh, on the farm, mucking stalls, going horse shows and that kind of thing. And, um, and so I think that when you, you know, and so I feel like my mother before she passed away in 2006 uh, and we had had a huge blow up uh, a few months before she died, we were able to, I went to see her uh, mm -hmm. about a month or so before she passed away because I had, after that last blow up, I said, okay, I'm, I never actually saw a psychologist in all of the years because I said, what are they going to tell me? I either fall apart or I keep going. And so, you know, falling apart is not an option. I just have to keep going. What, I don't understand what it's going to change in me. That's going to make it any better. But knowing when we had the blow up, she had, uh, she had been diagnosed with cancer a few years before and she was definitely in the end stages. And so I, I want, I knew that once she died, we had lost my father-in-law. And so I know that, you know, once somebody dies, then, and then anything that's resolved is remains unresolved. And so I wanted to make sure that I was in a position yeah. where whatever decision I made that, that I could say, I didn't have any regrets because there wasn't any way to change that. And so the woman who I was seeing said, you have a choice. You would certainly be within your right to never ever speak to your mother again. But you have to think about whether or not you can live with that for the rest of your life. And as angry uh, as you are at her, do you, this is for you, this isn't for her. And so I decided that I needed to go and see her for me. And how did that last meeting go? The first time I went to see her, um, you know, she apologized uh, which was huge for her. Uh, she apologized for the last instance. And I think that she was a little bit reflective of, of what came before. You've had such an unusual life and it's been challenging on so many fronts. You know, how has it really shaped you? I think it's about commitment and not letting people down. Uh, I think everything stems from that. I have a responsibility to the company 
for it to be the best it can be. I have a sense of, of responsibility uh, to, to my employees to make sure that, that I can do everything in my power to make sure that they uh, are treated fairly and with respect and that they get the training that they need. Um, and so it really permeates through everything. And I, and I think as a result, one of the things that, one of the reasons why I'm here in the position is because I think that when people get to know me and they, you know, and sometimes, at, you know, particularly when you're the company's lawyer, sometimes you have to disappoint people because you don't want them, they want to do something and you have to say, and, and I would never say, no, you can't do that. It would, well, maybe not this, but how about if we do it this way? And my brain was always very business minded. So I was very good at coming up with solutions. You know, when you approach that way, it, people, I think people trust me. Um, and when they trust you, they're willing to follow you. And, and it's not because they're following me because I'm, I'm the boss. Uh, they're following me because it makes sense. Uh, they can talk to me if they disagree. They can give their input. I want to hear. Um, and especially now, I had to learn all of John's job. Um, and so, and, and the way I've been able to do that is, is to have employees who are willing to embrace me and, and embrace the, what I don't know and understand that I recognize that I don't know that I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to rely on the people, uh, who do know and take that counsel and then put it together with all of the other factors that go into a decision, um, and then come out with the decision. And it's always what's, you know, my, I, and I, I try to say this to people, focus on what's in the best interest of the company. Don't take it personally, give your input, give your reasons. But if you stay focused on what's best for the company and you're open to hearing all of the factors that go into a decision, then people will follow it because they understand it may not have been what they would have done because there are a million different ways to come up with things. It's really that being committed. Uh, and maybe it's because I'm afraid that people will a fear of rejection or being left um, uh, or just, you know, frankly, disappointing people. And, and also because my mother didn't fulfill her parental commitment that makes me want to whenever if I commit to something, I'm, I'm going to commit to it and you're going to get 2000% out of me, sometimes to my personal detriment, because I'm it's so much. Uh, and sometimes, you know, my husband will say you're he, he yells at me because when I'm focused on something, he said the house can burn down, <laughs> you wouldn't notice it. But like you said, at the start of this conversation, you're the mom of the company, right? You're the mom. Exactly. But thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you being so candid and so open. Well, thank you so much. I'm so honored again to have met you. That was my conversation with Jennifer Estabrook, president of Fila North America. I hope you enjoyed it. She certainly has an unusual story. This episode was produced by Jordan Gaspore. Please do check out other episodes of Out of Office. You know where to find us. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Terminal. I'm Malika Kapoor. See you next week. Till then, stay well. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha 
for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.